Hey everyone, it is your favorite neighborhood podcaster, Samuel Richards, and I am so excited to introduce sort of our new addition to the Community Roots lineup. Um, But before that, I have some announcements. Uh, The first thing I wanted to say was if you are interested in mental health, if you have any questions about mental health or the podcast, please reach out to us. Um, All of these conversations can be continuing. So uh, email email us at communityroots.pod at gmail.com or by going on Facebook and Instagram and searching communityroots.pod and just shoot us a message and that goes straight to our pockets all of us are logged in and it's a good way that you can reach out to us continue this conversation and kind of create that community that we talk about secondly um if you are a listener every week please go to itunes and rate and review us Um, That is the way that we get the most spread. Uh, We shoot up on iTunes list. We've been ranked a couple times. I think we've been in the mental health top 100 a couple times as well. So all your support is definitely working. And so please go ahead and uh, rate and review us if you're a fan and you listen every week. Uh, Lastly, before I kind of let you all go, I wanted to let you know about our Patreon that is launching today as you are hearing my melodious voice through these headphones. um, You can go to our Patreon page and start to sponsor us. Uh, It will not charge you until the first of the month and our bonus content won't be available until then anyway. So it's kind of this pre-entry area And uh, we're going to have things like raffles and ways to expand sort of our show so that we can fund what we're doing and reach more people. So if you are interested right off the bat and you want to support us, go ahead and look in the show notes uh, in the description of this podcast and click on our Patreon page and you'll sort of see what we have to offer. We have three different tiers And uh, you can see we'll have a plethora of bonus content, um, some ways that you can be announced on the show or have a message on the show, uh, some ways that you can ask um, my mom or me or Sarah or Adrienne some questions. So uh, go ahead and check all that sort of stuff out, um, like I said, in the show notes, and you'll definitely be hearing more about it. So uh, I am so excited for this next phase. Um, speaking of which, uh, you're about to hear one of our, uh, newest creations, which is Mom's Unpack That, in which, uh, she will talk about some of her favorite books. I'll let her tell you more about it in a second, so I will see you guys next week on Community Roots. hosts of uh, Community Roots and Off the Beaten Path, and we are starting a new segment that we are calling Unpack That, 
which is the books and things that I have been reading, reflecting on, studying, and bringing to you so that you can join the conversation, maybe learn something new, enjoy some time with me. I have poured a cup of tea. You can imagine being at a coffee house with me, um, sitting down over a cup of coffee or your favorite warm drink or something that um, we can sit and talk about all the different things that um, kind of feed into what I'm processing and what I'm learning. And I'm pretty fascinated by reading and um, gathering different ideas from different sources. And I thought it'd be fun to just kind of share some of that with you. So um, today's book that I am reviewing for our Unpack That session is called Beyond Behaviors, Using Brain Science and Compassion to Understand and Solve Children's Behavioral Challenges. And this is written by Dr. Mona Delahook. And I will tell you that this is one of the main books that I will recommend to clients or to people who are interested in learning about their children. Um, so often people focus, whether it's teachers or parents, but the focus is often put on the behaviors and that's what's presenting itself. That's kind of like the tip of the iceberg and what's happening and what we're trying to sometimes correct um, and we don't know how to do that. And so Beyond Behaviors is a brilliant book that Mona has um, written that really gets to what's underneath that iceberg. What are all the different things that are factoring into why someone is having behavioral challenges or concerns? And really, I think overall, if there was one takeaway that I could say from the whole book, it's that it is unique to each person. So rather than defining what um, someone's ideal behavior should look like or what's causing it or what we need to be doing as a strategy, instead of thinking in terms of a one-size-fits-all, um, she really talks about let's get to know this unique child and let's figure out what's going on for them in their sensory processing, in their um, strengths or limitations or things that might be vulnerabilities for them. So I just thought I would kind of flip through my pages a little bit to um, share with you some of the, the quotes and things that I found really interesting. And since most of you don't know me at all, um, and I'm just kind of chuckling here to myself because I love to... Those of you who know me better might remember seeing me this way if you're ever around me while I'm um, reading a book. I am gathering my cute little colored rulers and colored pens and pencil and highlighters and I make it colorful and I jot my notes in the margins and I really engage a book. And so... Um, I'm just going to flip through here and see some of the things that caught my eye. Um, one thing I will say about this book, Beyond Behaviors, is that it is not one that you have to read cover to cover to get something out of. She's done a great job of making some of the quotes like large or kind of make them stand out. 
and they stand out even more whenever I color them with bright highlighters. <laughs> um, but she also has different charts and things, and you can kind of review the parts that are most relevant to you, which is fun. So one thing that she says here um, is on page 11, when we see a behavior that is problematic or confusing, the first question we should ask isn't how do we get rid of it, but rather what is this telling us about the child? And she talks about some some concerns that she has with how people generally look at behaviors. Um, one is that they fail to see the cause of the behavior and they're already trying to change the behavior. So usually the behavior is something that doesn't fit the status quo. And she's saying, look at what's happening underneath that behavior. So having that iceberg mentality is really helpful in trying to to see behaviors as just what we see on the surface. It's what presents, but there's so much more underneath that. And another um, problem that she recognizes is that we use one-size-fits-all approaches. Um, we don't understand things from a developmental um, roadmap of where that individual child is, and we just try to... Um, have optimal approaches that work for everyone. And and she said, really, understanding each child's individual differences helps us to tailor our relational and therapeutic approaches, which is cool. So if we think of this iceberg in terms of our development, we've got the, the behaviors are on the surface, but underneath all of that are these possible causes of what's happening with the behaviors and some different triggers that could be um, contributing to what is causing that behavior. And so she says to look at uh, what's happening in the internal bodily processes, in our emotions, thoughts, memories, ideas, sensations that the brain and body are trying to process, developmental capacities and processes, and the ability to plan and execute actions. So looking at it from a developmental standpoint, is the child able to even take in all these different senses and information and what they should be um, applying as like maybe a skill or something that they can do? And they're just not able to do that yet and so she talks about uh, she intertwines a lot of the polyvagal theory which we've shared on the community roots episode of if we are in the green zone which is our ventral vagal that is where we are able to connect and have social interaction and engagement and learn and listen and we're online so to speak um, that we're able to take information in and learn. But oftentimes, um, Stephen Porges talks about there's this cues of danger that we have an autonomic nervous system that is meant to protect us and keep us safe. And so we go into survival mode and we have reactivity of our sympathetic nervous system being 
uh, fight or flight, or we go into a dorsal state, which is our parasympathetic nervous system, the branch of it that is a freeze response where we um, dissociate and we are numb and we can't take in the information. Mona Delahook says, as human beings, we start out grounded in our biological survival instincts, which are those processes that help us stay alive. And our psychology is built upon how our caregivers meet our biological perceptions of the environment. So it comes down to how are our caregivers, how are we as parents or teachers able to work within that environment that this child is taking in to help and how they will perceive it as safe um, cues of safety as Stephen Porges talks about or cues of danger and in her perspective that she's teaching in this book she says that we're comparing in kind of an old paradigm that focuses only on behaviors they're generally asking things like, what is this child getting out of the behavior? Are they trying to get attention? Are they trying to control something? But in this new paradigm, the question is different. What are behaviors telling us about the child's underlying neurophysiological processes? And that's a whole lot of words. And so I'll just sum it up to the part of the question, what are these behaviors telling us? What should we be noticing? And she talks about, Mona Delahook says, instead of focusing on what we do to children, we prioritize how we are with them. So instead of focusing on eliminating behaviors, we need to provide children with signals of safety that is personalized to each child's nervous system. And I'll unpack that further in a moment of what that actually means. Um, But those signals of safety allow social engagement behaviors to emerge spontaneously. So the idea is that human beings need to feel safe in order to um, make use of their thinking brain. As um, Dan Siegel and Tina Bryson have talked about the upstairs brain and the downstairs brain, if we want to engage our upstairs brain, which is our higher level of thinking, our executive functioning skills that help us to learn, we need to be able to have this sense of felt safety. And so for us as parents or, or teachers, the main thing for us to focus on is actually building a secure relationship with children and that the focus then is not on what is this child doing, but staying curious and open to what their behavior is telling me or teaching me about that child. But my emphasis as the parent or teacher or therapist or caregiver is going to be on What's my relationship like with them? How am I helping to build a secure relationship where they feel safe? One of the things that when we focus on behaviors that becomes a problem is that we ultimately are looking to often stop behaviors that are annoying or um, kind of culturally, socially inappropriate 
um, things that um, might not fit societal's norms. Um, but ultimately, the emphasis is really on compliance. And we want everyone to kind of fit this square mold. And we talked about in our ADHD episode of Off the Beaten Path um, that really that's like trying to take round pegs and fit them in a square hole and it doesn't work. We're not appreciating the unique um, neuroception, neurophysiology of that individual. And what Mona Delahook talks about is prioritizing emotional and relational safety in such a way that we build emotional regulation and their capacity grows to be able to regulate their emotions in their own unique way. And then ultimately, uh, behavior can change to be more healthy and adaptive in a positive way. Mona tells us that we need to determine if the behavior is top-down or bottom-up to understand what the origin is and where it's coming from. What she means by that is that top-down behaviors, if you think about the brain from the upstairs brain, it's something that has been um, intentional, they've planned it, they're thinking about it, and there's kind of some kind of incentive on on the person's part that it's really been um, planned out ahead of time. The challenge with this, however, is that that top-down brain can get hijacked at any particular moment because this downstairs brain has instincts whenever it experiences threat or danger. And so these become bottom-up behaviors, which Mona describes as stress responses. These are things that are happening subconsciously that is just the autonomic brain um, that is taking over in that moment. And this is from our limbic system and the amygdala, which is our fear response, and it's meant to keep us safe. And so some of our behaviors are sometimes happening within split seconds, being determined if they are safe or not. And these autonomic responses from our nervous system just throw us into fight, flight, or freeze. And so we're not able to really think through what's the best way to respond in that moment. So as we look at how a child is behaving, she describes the green pathway, which has social engagement. The red pathway is our fight or flight. And the blue pathway is shutting down. She has some cool pictures here, too, of children um, displaying these kind of behaviors. So with the green pathway, you can imagine someone who just has a bright, shining face. They're looking directly. um, They smile. They show joy. They can express their emotions. They're relaxed. They have um, a stable balanced um, movement and everything is you know they feel good in their body you can tell that they're relaxed but then with the red pathway with fight or flight the picture that she shows here is basically a child in a meltdown um, where they are much more tense 
Sometimes the eyes are looking around the room or rolling upward. Um, they might have direct intense eye contact or they um, have anger or disgust on their face or a clenched jaw or teeth. Um, they could be loud or hostile or grumpy or sarcastic or biting, hitting, kicking, jumping, throwing. All of those indicating that they are in a, set, in a state of overwhelm and their fight or flight um, autonomic nervous system is reacting. And then on the other extreme of that, we have the blue pathway, which is when we're shutting down. And the picture that she shows in this one is just a very um, kind of shy child looking down at their hands. They're slumped. They're slouching. There's really no curiosity or exploring play. They're kind of frozen or slow moving. Their face, when you try to look at it, is kind of flat or blank. And the mouth is turned down a bit. They're sad. Maybe their eyes get gla glassy or glazed over. Um, they might seem tired, but they're not really interested. They're, they're moving slowly and kind of zoned. So she said um, that too often we are reacting just to the child's behavior and we're not taking into account which state, which pathway are they on. And what's interesting as you read through this book, she also gets to what state or pathway are you on as the adult? And that is important for if we are able to respond to um, the child's needs in that moment. Are we able to have the self-awareness to stay calm? Um, and she has you reflect and write down on situations um, in your own parenting that challenge your ability to stay in the green pathway what are those triggers and things that lead you onto the red pathway when you're managing a child's behavior? And what are some positive supports that you can create for yourself to counter such reactions? She has a list here for adults of um, reflecting on the green pathway of calm, that in those moments I'm breathing at a normal rate and um, I can think, I can plan, I can come up with options. But if I go on to the red pathway of reactivity, I'm getting really upset and I'm reacting quickly. My breath is shallow and heavy and my body's tense and I can't think. I feel like I'm going to explode. I'm talking loudly or yelling. I can't stand or sit still. And then as an adult, I too can have the blue pathway of disconnection, which is when I feel slow to react. I can't think fast enough. I feel like I'm disappearing or I don't feel up to managing the situation. Maybe I feel helpless or my facial expressions are kind of frozen or I feel sad. So she said really to check in with, you know, is the child feeling safe and present? And how is the adult in helping create that ability to be present and safe? Mona says the starting point should always be the child's sense of safety. 
not the behavior itself, which is things that often in the heat of the moment, in the tension and stress, parents aren't really, or even teachers aren't really thinking about, does the child feel safe right now or what's happening under the surface? They're often just reacting quickly to the behavior that's presenting at the time. Mona says that we adults, parents, caregivers, and professionals are the most important tools in the toolbox. So how we are is as, as important as what we say. As we are creating these moments for connection and helping a child feel safe and related to and cared for um, is so important. And she has us reflect Maybe if you're a journaler, you could think about um, sometimes that you've had moments of connection and, and what feelings and words and images come up for you as you think of those relationships of people who made you feel safe and loved and secure and how we can focus on that relational dynamic to help be the safety starting point for these kids and how they behave so she talks about you know reflecting what pathway is the child on what pathway is the adult on and then reflecting through some scenarios of what were the things that helped and what were the things that didn't help Uh, Carl Jung has a quote that warmth is the vital element for the growing plant and for the soul of the child Like how often do we actually show the child that we are just glad that they're here and that we get to spend time with them and that they are precious and valuable. And we we show that in the way we interact with children. And that's so important for them to be able to take in. It's actually the foundation of their self-esteem and how they feel wanted and welcomed in this world. That's just my own little reflection there. That's not in Mona's book, but... She talks about some de-escalization strategies. Um, I think I may have just made up a word there. (laughs) Um, De-escalation strategies for children um, when they are behaviorally activated and they're on the red pathway. If we use uh, respectful, empathic ways to help them feel safe and provide those cues of safety and you stay regulated yourself, knowing that this is a transient state, like they're in this for a moment or sometimes that moment lasts. I know meltdowns can go on for hours at times, but it is transient. It will change. It's important that you limit what you say because they aren't in the position to be able to hear you right now when they're in that red pathway. You want to respect if they need some physical space and just move slowly, respectfully, and afterwards, whenever you have a chance to reconnect with them, um, ask them what would be the most helpful whenever they're struggling and talk about it a little bit together. They're not going to always know the answer to that, but certainly you don't um, ask them in the moment, but you check in with them later about that. So one of the things you'll notice if you happen to pick up this book, and I'll kind of wind down our time together here today, there is lots of information about sensory processing. And I just want to speak for a moment to what that is for those of you who might not be aware. Um, 
all of us are taking in information through our senses. Our brain is interpreting if um, something is safe or dangerous, as well as um, if we're able to be present or kind of shut down or overwhelmed, kind of what state we'll be in based on all this information coming in. And so in this book, she has, I think what is really interesting for any of us to reflect on um, some checklists of sensory over responsive uh, checklist, sensory under responsive checklist, and then a sensory craving checklist. So going through each of the senses and sound, touch, visual, taste, and movement, which is our vestibular sense, um, to be able to see like if we respond strongly to those senses, then it just it's like the the feedback that comes to our brain is just too much. And so, like for instance, the child might hold their hands over their ears because it's the sounds are too loud. Or it's hard for them to be in a theater or a concert because it's just too much. Um, with touch, sometimes that is like the fabrics of the clothing are something that make them sensitive. Or they feel irritable around uh, textures of things. Um, visually, they might like things to be either... Um, low light or a bright light but they're responding very much to these they feel threatened sometimes by eye contact sometimes foods might make them gag if it has a certain uh, texture to it and they feel fearful um, in their movement but then if someone is under responsive in their senses um, they might not really tune in whenever you're saying something and so they have to have directions repeated many times um they might make uh sounds or humming or talking to themselves as they're completing a task or they might enjoy having loud sounds or music in the background uh, because there's not enough stimulus coming in um one of the things that happens with touch is they're not particularly bothered by cuts or bruises. They're, they don't have enough stimulation there to tell them that there's a problem. So they might not notice if they're bumped or pushed. Um, and they feel kind of indifferent to different things. Um, the challenge if, you know, they're eating or drinking something that could be harmful to them because they're not aware of smell or taste. They don't notice or care if food is spicy or bland. Um, then with sensory craving, um, it has things like they, they use a loud noise or shouting whenever they're speaking. They're unable to stop talking. They have trouble taking turns in conversations. They enjoy noisy environments. Um... All these kinds of things, all this to say, the reason why this is helpful and important is trying to get to understand what it's like for your specific child and what they, how they interpret the world, how they um, experience relationships and people and sounds and tastes and smells and all these different things that will impact their behaviors. If they are in a state of overwhelm, they will 
probably be acting out in certain ways that shows that they are overwhelmed. Or if they are hypo aroused and they're more in that blue pathway, they might be really checked out and really not connected to what you're saying. So these things are just helpful to understand what's going on beneath all those behaviors. And she talks about too, I just, I'll point out this one more thing. I tend to do that. I keep just when you think uh, I'm done with saying something, I've got something else that comes to mind. Uh, but the idea of uh, rewards and punishment and why that's a problem, it really is not getting to what's going on. It doesn't help any kind of problem solving. It only uh, creates like trying to motivate a child for a reward or something positive that will come out of it, but they don't often have the executive functioning to see the bigger picture of the skills that they're developing or why, or it just really makes them um, compliant to it, but there's no uh, real maturity or development that happens through it. And it often does not help with connection and relationship, which is so important. So it's not taking into effect or into account if um, someone is, for instance, not feeling safe and we're trying to just get them to comply with their behavior. So it's not um, relationally attuned or connected. It's just trying to get an end result. So it's not really understanding the bigger picture of what's going on. So they really don't gain from it. And so that's why we don't really want to... um, put emphasis on rewards. So giving rewards really, or even focusing on punishments too, is really not helping the child learn how to regulate or work with their emotions or understand um, ways that they can respond to stress. So it's important that we're working to develop the child in ways that they can get to know themselves better and have more self-awareness, more self-compassion, more ability to understand these different pathways of being on the red pathway or the blue pathway and how to get to to the green pathway. Like those are important things. You know, sometimes we, we consider behavior as kind of acting out and maybe it would be something to shift our understanding of these are ways that a child could be reaching out could be trying to make connections and have relationship and they just aren't finding the best way to do that or the most effective way to do that Mona says the presence of a trusted and loving adult helps children to moderate their stress responses. We need each other. We need that kind of co-regulation to help us to be able to handle uh, things that are overwhelming to us in life. It's very healthy and appropriate for us to learn how to be interdependent and rely on each other. And those are foundational things that will help uh, our kids and their relationships the rest of their life to find safe people and people that they can rely on and that it can be mutual and caring for each other as they grow and develop. So I'll just close with this question that she asks for us to reflect on. Um, what factors are affecting a child's ability to have calm, focused, and alert attention in her body and mind? 
What impact does that have on his or her relationships and successful participation in daily activities at home and school? So let's become more aware of what's going on. What's the bigger picture? What's the context of what's happening? And this book, um, Beyond Behaviors Today, I hope has given you some new insights to say, let me focus less on uh, what the behavior is and what I need to punish. Not to ignore that behavior. Mona says in her book, don't ignore the behavior. Use it as a way to kind of unpack I'll use that word again unpack that use it as a way to get to know that child and what the child needs and what adjustments can be made to help them to be more successful in the world and to be able to thrive and so doing some problem solving together collaboratively not in a linear fashion where it's just the parent determining everything but um, more collaboratively helping them to grow in self-awareness and that we too are learning about our own bodies and our own responses. And um, it's a great opportunity we have for learning and growth across the lifespan, which I always encourage people in. So thank you for joining me on this little new adventure together on Unpack That. And the books that we are going to go together um, on a journey to see what other learning we might want to Uh, check in about and trust me I have so many books (laughs) and I'm excited about this opportunity that I can connect with you and with um, with that learning process all these great people who have studied so many wonderful things so I'm looking forward to to more of these adventures with you so thank you for joining me today and until next time take good care